Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay, let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room Podcast. Flexible working, sick pay, protective disclosures, retention, talent attraction, compliance. There's a lot to think about when it comes to HR policies. Whether you want to simply be compliant with legislation or you want to have best-in-class policies, many employers have different strategies, ideas, and also challenges when it comes to the rules and norms they want to have in their workplace. So what are the new rules, the new norms, and what are employers doing about them? Talk to us about this today. We're delighted to be joined by Judith Curran, counsel in the Employment and Benefits team at Mason Hayes & Curran. Thanks for joining us, Judith. How are you? All right, Owen, thank you. And thanks for having me. Nice to talk to you both. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, and as always, we're joined by our very own Mary Cullen, Founder and Managing Director here at Inside HR. How are you, Mary? I'm great. Thanks, Owen. And lovely to have you here, Judith. Brilliant. So look, we'll jump right in and come to yourself, Judith, uh, first, if that's okay. Um, so look, I think this will be no news to anyone. There has been a lot of updates to legislation, a lot of new norms that have kind of developed in recent months and years. Um, I suppose, Judith, first question to kick us off, what do you think are some of kind of the most pressing updates for employers that may be looking ahead to 2024? Yeah, thanks, Owen. Yeah, I mean, as you say, you know, employment law is um, a really fast changing area of of the law, really. It's constantly shifting, constantly moving. And, you know, 2023 was no exception to that. Um, and we've seen an awful lot of development over the course of this year, lots of new things being implemented this year, but really which will have effect for 2024 as well. So it's really looking at, you know, what what the pressing needs might be. Well, I suppose one of the key points that um, key talking points for this last year have been the Work and Life Balance Act, really. And, and, you know, there were a lot of things that came into force with that, you know, the, the paid domestic violence um, leave, the care and medical care leave. But one of the, the main sort of talking points as well was around the right to request remote working, the remote and flexible working changes which are coming in. So, you know, we were chatting earlier, you know, a lot of people might feel or a lot of companies might feel that, you know, kind of on top of this already, you know, we're a couple of years post-pandemic, post-lockdown, where, you know, lots of businesses were obviously had the remote working, the hybrid working, and some organizations never really came back from that. So a lot of employers might feel, oh, you know, we're quite comfortable with this, but a very happy remote working sort of uh, a workforce. But even if you have as an, as an employer or an, or an organization got the you know, you're fairly comfortable with it. And it's now being formalized in terms of the right to request remote working and, you know, the flexible working rights coming coming in as well. And whilst the law has been enacted, you know, we're still waiting for the sort of go date on, on when these rights will come in. And it's important to remember that, you know, it's not a right to work flexibly or a right to work remotely. It's just the right to request it. So even if you have the existing pattern in place, which many organizations do, it'll still be really useful. You know, if it's on your sort of to-do list and you're thinking, oh, I really must get around to the policy, this is a good time really to now maybe bring that to the top of your to-do list as it were if you're someone listening in and you thought, yeah, I'm aware of that's coming in because 
the rights are being formalized into the law. Um, there is, uh, you know, there'll be a, a, a code of practice. Um, there's a new right for an employee to bring a complaint to the WRC, for example, for I've made a, a request and my employer isn't dealing with it properly or they're not complying with what's in the code. So just being really alive to that. And even if you've already got it in place, it's it's a good opportunity to just to health check it, you know, have a look at it. And, you know, at Mason, Hayes and Curran, we have, you know, a team of 30 and we do a lot of this type of really you know, non-contentious type advisory work where we'll health check policy procedure for a company and organization um, and just making sure that it's all compliant and up to date. Um, so there's lots of, of good reasons why, you know, employers should be kind of alive to that and, and what's coming. And in 2024, we know or expect the commencement date for this will happen. Um, you know, and it also captures things, you know, if you're listening to this and you think, well, I didn't quite get around to doing the policy yet. There's really good reasons why you need to be doing it. It's, you know, remote workers, you know, health and safety, accident reporting, you still have that duty of care really around an accident at work is is equivalent to, you know, or sorry, an accident at home, you know, is equivalent to an accident at work. So it's having that reporting procedure. It's about remote management of people as well, you know, people who are working remotely. And, you know, whilst the surveys really show that people do work well from home, people are healthier and happier with the hybrid working arrangement. Not everyone, there's always an exception, you know, not everyone is brilliant at working from home. So if you don't have a policy or procedure in place, you may struggle getting that person back into office-based work where they might actually just perform better. And that does happen. So those are good reasons to make sure that you're reviewing as an organization, you know, any policy that you have, or indeed now thinking, you know what, I need to sort of pencil in some time to get this, this, procedure and policy sort of um, in place and and ready to go for when it's all formalized. Um, Other things that, you know, we might look at are um, the whistleblowing. And again, this is probably not affected, you know, the sort of small to medium type business, because at the moment it only affects employers, sort of 250 plus employees. But by the end of this year, 17th of December, you know, the legislation has been changed to capture. So the, the the sort of net is wider, if you like. It will now be affecting employers with around 150 employees. And again, you know, it's having a, an internal reporting procedure in place for whistleblowing, for protected disclosures from your employees. Um, you know, there's an increasing awareness about it. Um, employees really need to understand, you know, who in the organization is the go-to person for this? Um, who do we contact when we have a concern about, you know, an illegality or a wrongdoing of some sort that, you know, they need to raise their hand and, and blow the whistle about? And it's also about the training and awareness that goes with that too. So this is something which, you know, that's a pressing need, if you like, for this year and obviously going on into next year as well. Um, and that comes around quite quickly in terms of of what you need to be doing to get the, the reports and the policy and the procedure internally right. And also worth remembering that these are really expensive claims. You know, if you get this wrong as, a, as an employer, you could be facing a claim in the WRC of up to five years compensation, five years pay as compensation. So this is very expensive. Um, potentially you have reputational issues as well. If that, you know, it's all public information. So those are things, you know, that would be recommended for um, any employer really to now 
look at, to review, you know, and again, um, you know, Mason Hayes and Curran, we have the team, we can um, advise on on those policies and procedures and help you, you know, do the health check, but make sure you're compliant. And if you need support doing it, then, you know, we also do that type of thing. So I think that was the most pressing ones, probably. <laughs> Yeah, 100% and a lot there. We can actually dig in deeper to as we go through the conversation. I suppose just appreciate that for laying those out. Um, I suppose, Mary, just given what Judith said there, I mean, and it's something we, we've heard from a lot of places in, in the news. I mean, a lot of the legislative updates this year or in recent years and months have been quite socially focused, employee focused. I think it's very clear the flexible working one that was probably, I put this lightly, slightly linked to the fact that we all had to work from home for quite a while. But was there, I suppose, generally, Mary, were a lot of these kind of policies, updates, legislation, um, refreshments, you could call them, I suppose, were they kind of long overdue? What do you think was the catalyst? Because, I mean, a lot of these things, I mean, there were some policies in place with some employers, some didn't have them at all. So it probably was the right time for a lot of these things to come in, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I guess you, you're probably going to have different perspectives, aren't you, depending on whether you're, you know, on the employer side or the employee side. It, my own personal view, you know, having worked most of my career without uh, much in the way of care around, you know, my family circumstances, whether or not I was able to leave work on time to get children, whether I could work from home or not. All these things were just reality. And, and you know, me and many of my peers struggled quite a lot around these kind of issues. So absolutely, they're long overdue. But I think also from the employer perspective, you know, these things cost money as, as much as anything else. And there there is that pressure there. So, you know, while statutory sick leave is wonderful, um, you know, somebody has to pay for it and that's the employer. So it's greeted differently in different quarters and by different people. Um, and I, I think from a societal perspective, these are long overdue and welcome developments. Um, but I also recognize that for smaller employers in particular, that uh, it's a challenge to to pay for it. And it seems that there's a, a never ending list of things that um, employers have to cover now. And, and so, you know, we hear from our clients both sides, you know, obviously the larger an organization is, the better the benefits that are in place, the more structured the environment usually. Um, but I think it is quite difficult for your SMEs. Definitely. And I suppose, Mary, just building on what you said there, actually, when it does come to those policies, those areas of work that HR teams are kind of struggling with, because I suppose obviously HR teams have different goals, different objectives when we talk about policies. Some want to be market leaders with policies, some just want to be compliant and get on to the next thing. Are there any kind of certain areas of this, and we might be repeating ourselves a little bit, but I'm sure it's, it'll be well appreciated by our listeners. Are there certain areas of this, Mary, that employers come to us a lot about that they kind of particularly struggle with? I know in my own head, protective disclosures can be quite tricky. Yeah, There's a lot to it. What yeah. other ones, you know what I mean? Is there any? I think I think just the volume uh, of mm. change, and it seems 2023 seems to have been a real barrage of of change and I I introducing regulations. And but it's kind of been like that for quite a while, Judith, hasn't it? You know that there's been it seems to be this enormous push through um, of you know, improvements and enhancements 
uh, for employees in, in the workplace. And while it's welcome, I, you know, I know many HR people who do feel besieged by the amount of change because trying to keep up, you know, the practical reality when you're working uh, in-house, you know, there's multiple demands, you know, at the same time as all this legislation has been introduced, there's a real crunch point in terms of uh, attraction and retention. And, and it's, you know, what gets up to the top of your list? Um, there's just so many competing demands internally from a HR perspective, irrespective of whether you have a team with you or whether you're standalone. So I'm always sympathetic, but I do see the thing that's, that slips down the list is um, around the whole area of policy and procedure review, developments and updates. Um, these seem to be the things that HR teams put on the long finger, irrespective of their size. Um, and it's when there's a problem uh, and you're looking to fall back on those policies and procedures that we suddenly see, oops, the uh, bullying policy hasn't been updated. Uh, oh dear, we, we haven't even considered the whistleblowing policy and, and we ought to have been complying with that. So in the midst of all gender pay gap reporting, introduction of new leaves, um, you know, the right to request remote work, which many, many HR people have been dealing with for years now, um, you know, all of these things can seem a little overwhelming. Um, and rather than maybe address it directly, it's like, I know I need to do that, but I just don't have the time. Yes, this is important, but management wants me to, or the CEO wants me to focus here because they can see the, the kind of bottom line value to it. I've also of late noticed, and I'd be interested in, in uh, your view, do that given the size of the team uh, from the advisory side, working on these policies and procedures in, in your organization. Have you been hearing people say, you know, this book is, you know, 150 pages long, 200 pages long. This is a huge book. Can we slim down that policy? You know, can we just make it much more appealing? And and have we thought about it from an employer brand perspective? And and I'm very much, you know, of the view. Listen, we need we need the depth that's in the policy, and cutting it down isn't the way to go. But maybe having additional elements. Um, you know, to present to the employees is important. But I'd be curious, are you getting the same thing that we're getting? Yeah, I think there's, you know, definitely a, sh a shift away to streamline, really, yeah. isn't it? To, to get away from these, you know, as you say, 500 page handbooks, you know, because what you can find, and you sort of touched a little bit on it there earlier, is a problem crops up and actually, gosh, we open the handbook and nobody's really read the policy for years. And, and you know, a lot of organisations do invest a huge amount of money in wonderful policies and procedure, but they then gather dust on a shelf somewhere or it's in a, a file on a computer that no one's actually opened for, for a long time. And, and that's the really important part, isn't it? It's about keeping up the, the, the health check, the compliance you know, trying to be alive. And you're absolutely right, Mary, you know, it's, there's such a demand on HR teams, um, and especially that in-house function as well, you know, the, the demands of running the business, your day-to-day -day operations, you know, take up so much time. And then you have these emergencies that happen, you know, to every business from time to time, you know, things go wrong or problems crop up and, and people get, you know, their, their priorities are, are dedicated 
quite rightly to those things. So absolutely, it's probably, you know, we see, I suppose, a shift then to signposting as well to employees. You know, that's, I think there's a shift towards that, you know, to signposting rather than the sort of, you know, war and peace of the maternity leave absence type policy that we used to see, you know, several years ago. It is a bit more streamlined, but I think working to retain the depth, though, because that's really important. Like you say, the employee has to be able to understand what is in the policy um, and it has to be meaningful um, in terms of what's in the policy and procedure. Because, again, and I'm sure you'd agree that you know, HR is as good as its policy, but you then reliant on your frontline, aren't you? Your frontline managers who are the ones who are meeting with the employees or the employees are coming in to see the manager. They're not always coming to see the HRD or the HR manager or whoever, you know, so you've got to be confident that, okay, it's an accessible policy. You know, it's not going to just turn people off. You know, I open the book and, oh, crikey, I haven't got time to read all of this. But that it's accessible, but gives a sufficient level of detail that it, it works and that, you know, your frontline managers are, are confident in, in how they're reading and understanding it as well as your workforce. And I guess that's maybe the, the gold standard, isn't it, to try and work towards amongst all these other stuff that HR teams are sort of wading through. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting <laughs> sort of quandary, isn't it, for, for HR teams to, to try and balance. Yeah. Say the least, definitely. And I think one of the one of the policies that you can be sure will be read by employees and and try to be understood, I suppose, by employees. Judith will be the when you brought up already the remote flexible working arrangements, all that kind of stuff. And um, so you did obviously say, and you gave us a bit of a, a bit of an insight already, but just to dig a little bit dig a little bit deeper. Obviously, it is going to be legislated for. Um, but do we have any guidance on what might what kind of might be specified? And I suppose I'm asking because. Really what I'm asking is how can employers kind of prepare for see what's coming and maybe get, get kind of ready for it? Yeah, um, I suppose, you know, as we said, the, the act itself is, is in law now. So we're just waiting for these sort of commencement parts to, to kick in. So we know it's it's coming, but we don't I think exactly know when exactly it's, it's going to be implemented as such when, when people can start to make these requests formally. Um, I mean, we do know that um, it will apply to all employees. And the right for remote working will apply to everyone. So by comparison, I think with the um, flexible working is still restricted to parents and carers, for example, but their remote working requests can be made by anybody in your organization. Um, so being aware of that and also that there, you know, there'll be about, I think, 13 specific grounds on which an, an employer can refuse a request. Um, so it's, it's being aware of that too, that you, you don't, have to agree to a request from um, an employee you know what what the burden will be now on the employer is to you know to consider the request not only from its own perspective but you know as the employer of how how this request will work for your operations your business your needs but how it works for the employee as well so you will have to as a I suppose your decision making process will need to reflect that you know that we've considered from both sides uh, how this request might work and I think I touched on it earlier, there'll be the, the new code of practice. So, you know, compliance, compliance with that. Um, and also, you know, the timeframes, I'd expect that we will get more information on any any limitations or requirements that, that are going to be put in for, for responses to be to provided and, and for the employer to deal with the request itself. So, yeah, so there's, there's the types of things and what you can do to prepare you know, as an employer, again, if you haven't already got the policy in place and, you know, you're, 
you're suddenly thinking, oh, when is this is going to be happening quite soon? And, you know, whilst a lot of employers did retain the hybrid working sort of pattern or, or were more flexible around the the remote working, you know, there are some organizations who said, you know what, no, we need everyone back in the office or we need everyone back in the workplace or the plant or the factory or whatever it is. And um, so not all sectors uh, do can work remotely. Um, and it may be that, you know, you've got all your workforce back under one roof. And now this piece of legislation is coming down the line where people who maybe really enjoyed re- remote working will now put in a request. So now is a good time to start looking at that and thinking, OK, we may f- face some requests now again in the next six or 12 months from people who would like to work remotely. Um, and it's again, I think the key point, your base point is your policy, your process. You're looking at your own organization about your own needs what works, what doesn't work, and probably taking some advice on that as well, you know, so from employment teams or or HR departments and and working out, you know, what's feasible, what isn't, so that you're prepared. And then as part of your policy, you know, it can speak to that. It can say, look, this is maybe what we envisage will work or give examples of requests that might succeed and those that don't. Or, you know, so you've got a lot of flexibility around your, your policy there to prepare in advance. And again, it's good communication with your workforce, isn't it? So they know how to make, who to make it to, who to make the request to, how long it's going to be dealt with. And it's that management of expectations around, you know, this isn't just we're going to roll out remote working to everybody, for example, if that doesn't meet your needs. Um, so those are things that all organizations uh, can think about. Definitely. And I suppose, Mary, the whole road to flexible working legislation, it's a bit of a Bit of an emotional roller coaster, hasn't it? I think when the news first broke, obviously our ears perked as HR consultants. I'm sure it's the same for Judith and her team. Um, I suppose we're we're all in the same uh, bucket of advising people. Our ears perked to it. I'm sure a lot of employees thought, "Brilliant, this is finally coming." Employers were delighted, but then thought, "Wow, I have such a big to do list." So I suppose, Mary, what's the kind of feeling on the ground around it? Because I know a lot of um, employers will have had policies for a couple of years. This will probably provide clarity, or it might just be a little bit of background news for them because they already have something I suppose what's the kind of feeling on the ground around the marionette that's finally coming I suppose it is good news isn't it yeah I see more of a push to bring people back into uh into office so I'm seeing companies getting a little bit tougher around their their hyper policies because some of them have been quite lax and simultaneously, I'm seeing employees objecting to that and uh, feeling aggrieved by it to some extent. You know, so you'll hear regular stories from employees where, you know, I'm bought back into work to collaborate and I have just done the air quotes. But um and when they go in, they're not collaborating with anyone. They're just finding it more difficult to do their job. Uh, which they feel they could do better from home and more distractions, more noise and uh, more interruptions. So I think you you do have that sense of what employers want and maybe what employees want. And bridging that gap is important. And it's important that you understand the sentiment um, that exists within your workforce because if you can get that wrong and getting it wrong in in today's environment and um, mean people vote with their feet they leave so if they're not getting what they want with you they may get what they want somewhere else um, and i have noticed that mood 
um, amongst employees and, you know, coupled with the struggle for attraction and retention. So I think, you know, as a as an organization, there is that balance. You've got to get the work done in the way that you as the CEO and the management team feel is best for your particular organization. And I think it, it very much does come from how it's viewed at the top. Um, for instance, I've I've seen a lot of CEOs really struggle with remote and hybrid um, because all of their career, they have been used to working in office, on site, in person. Uh, and it has been quite the challenge um, not being able to do that. So I know many organizations that have policies in place uh, with the reluctant CEO sitting at the top thinking, can we bring people back in now? You know, Elon Musk has done it, such and such has done it. Can we can we do, you know, such a, this organization is calling people back in, can we do it now? And I, I get the sense that there there's a, a percentage of CEOs out there who would like people back in office. Um, but it's a it's a it's a balance when we're booming. You know, uh, when the cycle turns again and uh, there aren't there aren't so many choices for employees uh, that might change. And, and you are hearing all sorts of predictions about, you know, in a, you know, these remote and hybrid working arrangements will be gone within the next three years. I've heard that quite a lot uh, in terms of kind of chatter talk from the US. And, you know, we generally, the UK and Ireland, we kind of, we kind of um, tend to follow shortly behind what the US are doing. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, and it's a, a really good point as well, Mary, just around what you were saying about this, this call back into the office, you know, but I suppose employers need to, that's where the policy kicks in, doesn't it? The procedure, you know, what have you got in your contracts of employment? Because, you know, that's what's really key as well. And that's why it'll be really opportune for employers to now look at, well, what is in our policy? What's in our contracts? Because, you know, we see a lot of contracts that say you can work at your home uh, or, or your, you know, so if, if that's the case, then that becomes more difficult to require, doesn't it, legally, as a, as a legal sort of concept to get people to agree to go back into an office environment. And, you know, that's where I think it'll be interesting to for employers to now look at the formalization of these rights to work remotely rather than something the employer agreed to during the, the post-pandemic, post-COVID period where everyone was working remotely. And it, it'll be really interesting to see how that sort of tension if you like does work because if if you haven't got a policy as as an employer or you haven't reviewed your contracts recently you know that's the key point isn't it putting it in there the right to recall people to the workplace you know you can build that into a policy or procedure or build that into your contract of employment actually if we decide to take on you know because some employers actually got rid of their offices you know they're great we'll all go remote we'll save a fortune on, on office space etc but that will obviously could change down the line. And then, you know, as part of your planning for, for changes in your business or, as you say, just changes in, in the workforce and what, what maybe what employees want going forward. They may not, you know, this is a trend. Maybe it might change in the future. Um, it's building in that ability, isn't it, to, to bring people back into um, an office-based or, or workforce workplace um, for the workforce. So, 
yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one. I think it'll keep us all in HR and employment law really busy over the next few years. Yeah. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. I can picture people in their cars listening to this or wherever they are, just going, yeah, nodding their heads. Definitely. Well, I, I, I wonder, sorry to cut across you, but I wonder, um, you know, it, it's one thing saying, you know, we're contractually entitled to do this. Our policy says, and look, I have sat on that side of the table for many, many years and worked in house, you know, trying to enforce what the policy has said. Um, and, you know, will people actually have accrued rights at this point in time because you know we're well past uh lockdowns well past uh the the covid era uh, well hopefully we're well past it but you know so i can imagine for some employers who maybe haven't you know check the detail in the documentation or maybe something was badly worded might find themselves in a position that really they don't have a leg to stand on even though their preference is to bring people back in for um, more in office working or or on site so i think it it, it will it will keep us going for quite a while judith <laughs> Mm, definitely. I think so. And I think another one, obviously, that, that when it came out, everyone thought, oh, that looks great, which it does. Um, but another thing for the HR to-do list, Judith, was the transparent and predictable working conditions. Um, I suppose we've seen the rough details of this everywhere, so we don't need to deep dive into those as such. But I suppose from the I suppose employer perspective, Judith, do you think employers are still kind of lagging a little bit behind with this? Are they coming to you a lot for support around it? Because obviously it does seem quite straightforward, and I always use that word lightly on the podcast, but is it one of those ones that people are kind of struggling to, struggling to uh, implement and craft? Um, I don't think it's necessarily lagging behind or struggling to implement. Um, and I think maybe it's partly the messaging around, you know, that piece of legislation or you know, the predictable and working conditions really came from the EU aimed very much originally at the sort of gig economy, wasn't it, around people who had very temporary employment, very casual employment, a sort of on-off type working arrangement and that was you know that very much the gig economy wasn't it and you know the EU's intention was very sort of social economic to provide improved working conditions to provide you know predictability so someone who maybe got to a Friday night didn't know whether they'd be working on Monday can now seek that kind of certainty and and you know sort of um, predictability in their working life but of course for there are other aspects to it as well. And mainly, I suppose, in the private sector, it affected around the probation periods and contracts, exclusivity as well. You know, when we had the sort of height of the zero hours type contracts, you know, there was a, you know, we don't guarantee you any work, but you can't go work for anyone else. So, you know, this is sort of addressing that type of working environment or culture as well. So I think, I think that employers, maybe it's gone a little bit under the radar to some extent, because whilst it's in force, we haven't really heard an awful lot about it. You know, maybe it's been overshadowed a little bit by the whole remote working and the Work and Life Balance Act, which probably had a lot more visibility, possibly. But um, it is, it's there, it's in force. And, you know, again, if, if you haven't maybe looked at your contracts of employment this year, it's maybe a good time to do that. Um, and certainly for new recruits, you know, people coming in, new probationers, um, you know, adjusting the probation periods and, and you know, making sure that you're compliant there. Um, and, you know, unless you're in a business where you, where you have that sort of 
maybe seasonal influxes, you know, highs and lows. If you're in that sort of sector, then of course you need to be paying a bit more attention to this because you may find that your your workers or, or your employees start to say, well, I'd like a, you know, a schedule for the next couple of weeks, please, you know, in terms of, of a, a rota or, or working pattern and just being ready to, to be able to provide that as best you can if you're in that type of sector. So, yeah, there's, there's bits going on with that. Um, and as I say, we've tended to see really more around the, the contracts of employment and, and, you know, reviewing those and health checking them, as it were, and, and ensuring compliance. Definitely. And that health check and review is something mm. we've all mentioned on this podcast. So I suppose final question to yourself, Mary, when it comes to that reviewing, updating, health checking your policies. I mean, as you said, this is something that it should be quite high in the to-do list as opposed to the, the, the opposite end of it. Um, and is it something that I think people will need to go to, need to get support for? I can imagine it's not a, it's not a one person HR show can do a, can do a full review like this. There is the need for support, clarity, things like that, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think it depends on the size of your team, but I think it's always worth getting an external view uh, on your policies and procedures because things are changing at speed. Um, like there's that raft of uh, legislation and regulation in place. Um, and, you know, I'm still regularly talking to people that haven't updated policies and procedures maybe since 2016, 2018, 2019. And if you're in that position, you're quite far out now at this point because quite a lot has changed. The worst position you can be in is when an employee approaches their manager and knows more about employment law than the manager. Um, and that's a regular occurrence. And, and, you know, for people, you know, it's one thing to maybe not have got around to reviewing something that you reviewed last year, this year. But if you've left it two, three, four, five years, you really urgently need to do it. And, and I would recommend um, having someone with knowledge in this area review it, whether that's Judith, whether it's us. You know, there's there's different supports out there. Um, but I would recommend it because keeping up with case law as well as legislation, regulation and and what's changing next year. Um, is a job in itself and even the experts struggle to keep on top of it all you know to understand fully what exactly needs to change because it's happening at pace uh, I don't know if you saw the um, w first ruling on the on the sick leave statutory sick leave I think that came out was it Friday Last week, anyway, um, you know, that if an employer has uh, their own enhanced um, sick leave scheme in place, then the statutory sick leave, uh, it, it doesn't apply in that environment. And so, you know, you need to be watching this stuff so you understand it, so you understand what is the actual impact for our sick leave policy when we when we have an enhanced scheme and what's the difference in, in an environment where we don't or where we're you know doing it by by discretion which i hate but <laughs> you know there i still see it it doesn't matter the size of the organization i still see it you know sick leave policy is is uh, at manager's discretion i think well <laughs> uh what what discretion are you going to use in giving one person a more favorable uh, sick leave than another so it's you know all that the devil is 
all in that detail. So it's really important, I think, to have that external person that that knows their stuff that you can rely on to get it right and, and guide you around it. Your choice ultimately is an organisation, what you actually do, uh, but there are people there to help. 100% is something we always say that there's a lot to think about, but there's a lot of things that could be done about it too. So it's great to, it's great to hear that the support is there available for, for anyone that might be listening that's, that is worried about it. So look, thank you, Mary and Judith, for a really insightful discussion, really practical, enjoyable. So do really appreciate both your, both your time um, and I'm sure this will be very well received. And by the people out there. Thank you. So thank you to everyone for listening as well. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe if you haven't already and join the discussion on our social media channels. Uh, if you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with colleagues, friends, family, and even better if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on. We'd really appreciate that. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Judith, and thank you, Mary. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Judith. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Mary. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.